0: All right, well, good morning, church. Good morning. All right, so we're finishing John chapter 4 this morning. We've been in John chapter 4 for a few weeks. We are going to finish it up. We're going to be in verses 43 through 54. And remember that Jesus at the beginning of John chapter 4, was headed out to Galilee. That's where he was headed. It says at the very beginning of the chapter, um, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So Jesus was attracting a little bit too much attention for his own good, more than he wanted right now at this time in his ministry. So he decided to get out of town, and he heads to Galilee. That's where he's headed. But remember where we were for the last couple of weeks, of course. Instead of going around Samaria, which Jews would normally do, they would actually take the long way around instead of the short way because Jews and Samaritans don't mix. But he went through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. And not just the woman at the well, but her entire town, actually. Right? Right? So we, and they ended up staying there in that town in Sukkar was the name of the town there in, in Samaria, which today we would look at as sort of like the West Bank area in that area of Israel. So uh, he stayed there for a couple of days, and we talked about that for a couple of weeks, the last couple of Sundays or so, and now he's continuing on to Galilee. Now, I'm, sure you, I, I'm assuming you know this, but in case you don't, Galilee is not a city, okay? Galilee is a region, right? It's northern Israel. And the city of Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, that's in the region of Galilee. Uh, The city of Capernaum, which plays into our story this morning, um, that's in the region of Galilee. Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, that's in the region of Galilee. So all these cities are in the region of Galilee. So it says that Jesus is heading into Galilee. He's really heading into a region where he grew up, all right? All right. So he's headed to Galilee, and this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 43 this morning, but before we head out into the verses, let's just remind ourselves of a key verse concerning the gospel of John. That key verse is John chapter 20, verse 31, and it plays into today, which, I want, which is why I wanted to remind you of it. It says that these things are written, referring to the gospel, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And whose name? Jesus' name right? Believing in Jesus is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Well, what will it take for you to believe? That's basically a question that Jesus asks this morning. But it's not just that. On the flip side of that as well is what gets in the way of your belief? What stumbles you in your faith, right? What are the enemies of your faith, so let's read John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. It says, After the two days, that was the two days he was in Samaria there, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you speak it to us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and our ears and to, to what you have to say to us, and I pray, Lord, that it draws us closer, that we understand that you want a deeper relationship with us. And there are things sometimes that get in the way, but you're asking us, Lord, to live a life of faith. And sometimes that life of faith isn't exactly what we expect it to be or how we want it to be, but it's a life of putting our trust in you and just doing your, your will and obeying your word. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we pray. Your words are spoken this morning, Lord. We give it to you in your name, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've heard that phrase, seeing is believing? Right? We use that phrase a lot, usually in some sort of a joking sense. Right? I mean, it's been around forever. I had a poster in my bedroom. Back in, you guys remember X-Files? When X-Files was on TV, that was a while ago. Right? But I had a poster in my bedroom with the UFO on it, and underneath it, it said, I believe. Right? And yet, it's usually how we relate that phrase, right? We relate that phrase to things like UFOs, or Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster, or even Bigfoot, right? We We, we relate that phrase, you know, you know, Right, seeing is believing, but what there's a little bit of i don 't know how you would describe it, but usually when we say that phrase, there's a little bit of actual unbelief that's stated with it when we're saying seeing is believing we're not we're not actually ever expecting to see and believe right right my kids doing chores without being asked right we'll be like, oh yeah, i'll believe that when I see it right. We have that sort of tone that comes with, with that phrase. a right? matter of fact, we see that actually in the Bible. That phrase is in Mark 15. When Jesus is on the cross and he's being mocked right, by the soldiers and by the religious leaders. The religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, they're mocking Jesus. You can see this in Mark 15, for example. He's on the cross, and it says, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They're mocking him, and they're using it in the mocking sense, right? Oh, you're the King of the Jews? Yeah. I'll believe that when I see it come down from the cross, right? What would they have done had he done that? <laughs> they would have died. They would have fallen over you know, in amazement. But th- what they're saying there is, Right? it's about seeing and believing yeah. I'll believe that when I see it but guess what that's not what we're talking about this morning this this interaction that we have here with Jesus and this official son from Capernaum this is the, this is actually the opposite all these people in the region of Galilee that had seen Jesus when he was in Jerusalem and he was flipping tables and he was clearing out the temple and he was performing other, all these miracles and, and all these things, they, they, they were into all these signs and wonders. They had heard the stories about Jesus. And this official who was in Capernaum, he had heard the stories about Jesus too. And so when he hears that Jesus has come into the town in the region of Galilee, he hightails it up from Capernaum to Cana, where Jesus is, and he says, please come on down. He's begging Jesus, please come on down, please come on down, please come on down, heal my son, my son is near death, please come heal my son, right? And it's really, in a sense, about seeing is believing. I've seen all that you can do. I want to see more of what you can do. Come to my house and heal my son, right? But, but Jesus is talking about something different. That's what he addresses the man about. He said, it's a challenge, and it's a challenge to you, and it's a challenge to me, and it's a challenge to this man right here. It's a challenge to your faith because he's not talking about seeing and believing. It's actually about the opposite because seeing is not believing, especially not today. When everything and everyone can be deepfaked or hologrammed or ai would or, or whatever technology is out there today, you can think, oh, hey, I just listened to a new song by Paul McCartney, and guess what? It wasn't Paul McCartney at all. The whole thing was done by AI, right? You can watch, you know, all these deepfake videos of all these people hanging out together that were never even alive at the same time. And you're like, wow, that's so fantastic. Where did they get that footage? It's not real footage, right? I mean, I'm, so seeing is not believing. I mean, what do you do believe if you just go by sight? today if you just go by sight if you can be convinced by what you can see guess what you can be deceived by what you can see as well right so it's not seeing as believing and that's what jesus is is challenging him about here in these verse because faith as it's described in hebrews chapter 11 is faces the assurance of things hope for the conviction of things what not seen not seen Okay, so seeing is not believing. You turn it around. It's the other way. Believing is seeing, right? True vision comes after faith, not before, right? You were blind, and now you see. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. So let's walk it out. I right. told you, Jesus said in the Galilee area, It tells us that in verse 44, for Jesus had testified that the prophet has no honor in his hometown. That's thrown in there by John. We don't actually see that in the Gospel of John. You can read that in Matthew, you can read that in Mark, you can read that in Luke, that little exchange that Jesus has when he's actually in his hometown healing people. For example, in Matthew chapter 13, right? Jesus is healing people and and the people in his hometown who were astonished, by what he was doing, they actually come up. They're like, wait, isn't this Jesus? Right? I grew up with that kid. Right? They said, well, isn't he the carpenter's son? Wh- Where did he get all this wisdom? How did, how's he doing all these mighty works? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Yes, Jesus had sisters, right? You never hear about them in the Bible. Right? Except right here. Right? But they're saying, listen, we know his whole family. We know everyone. This is not the kid we grow up with. Where did this man, Jesus, get all these things, they say? And they took, it says they took offense at him. They couldn't believe it. It's ridiculous. But Jesus told them there, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And That was the exchange that John is referring to, but that, we don't see that in the Gospel of John itself. So, right? so that's where Jesus testified to that. And so what Jesus means by this and what John is referencing is the fact that Jesus knew the hearts of men. Right? And so whether you think, so whether it be the hostility towards him, which he had back in Judea, right, that the religious leaders had you know, back in Judea, or this false sense of familiarity that a lot of the people have with him in the region of Galilee because they kind of know him. Didn't he grow up in this area? Isn't he one of ours? Right? Isn't he a hometown kid? Right? Yeah. Right? But the truth is is that they think they know him, but they don't know him at all. Either way, what Jesus is saying is that whether I'm back in Judea or I'm going to head towards Galilee, people don't honor me like they should. And I know that. And so the lesser of the two evils right now is Galilee. Because I don't want to create a commotion right now in Judea. That's not where I am right now. They don't reverence me as they should. They don't understand my value. Literally, that's what it means in the Greeks. It means a value by which a price is fixed. So what value have you placed on Jesus? What's the value you put on Jesus? Do you reverence him like you should? Do you honor him like you should? Is he just your buddy and not your king? And when Jesus shows up in Galilee, you see kind of how much everybody knows him because it says everyone welcomes him. They'd seen everything he'd done in Jerusalem, right? They'd gone to the feast. They were excited to see him. Hey, Jesus is back in the area. We saw everything that you did. We've heard everything you do. It's so fantastic that you're here, but they didn't honor him. They just love the signs and wonders, right? We've, I've always phrased it like this. They just love the loaves and fish, right? Even though we haven't gotten to that yet. That's what they liked. Man, if we hang out with Jesus, we're going to see more cool stuff. Right? They're excited more about the signs and wonders than they were about having a true understanding of, too, true, of who Jesus truly was and why he came. It says that in John 1, that he came into the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So it's artificial. Understand that. It's an artificial False familiarity with Jesus. It's people thinking they know Jesus when they truly don't know who Jesus is. It's a people whose lips will flatter him, but their hearts are far from him. Because they don't truly understand who, and who he is. They haven't made that connection yet. And Jesus is completely aware of that. Right? He's completely aware because it says Jesus knows what is in man. Right? But notice this. I really want you to understand this. It didn't stop him from going. Your view of Jesus, wrong or right, right? Infant or adult, right? How you've grown in your faith, your view of Jesus, regardless of where it is, your expectations, whether they be wrong or right, concerning who you think Jesus is, is not a hindrance to Jesus in his relationship with you. He's going to take you right where you are and he's going to grow you. But you have to have the faith. You have to be open to God's Word, what it says, and how it can change your life. If you want to struggle with that, and if you want to like, wrestle with that, you know, I don't accept that part, then you're going to have some problems in your relationship with Jesus. Right? So it doesn't stop Jesus from going because he was not dependent on man's approval. Thank the Lord. You should all be thanking the Lord right now that Jesus' ministry was not dependent on man's approval. Because if it was, we'd all be screwed right now. Right? It's like those videos on YouTube where the guy is like, did you like this video? We'll shoot another one. If I get 100,000 likes, if I get 500,000 likes, if I get a million likes in the next 24 hours, we'll shoot three more of these videos, and then I'm going to reward one of my viewers with $500 or something like that, right? Jesus didn't operate that way, thank the Lord. If I get 100,000 likes, well, then I'll go to this region, or then I'll give you this. And it was like, oh, man, we're screwed because... No one's given him any likes. The religious leaders don't like him. The scribes don't like him. Right? People in his own hometown don't accept him. We'd be messed up. But we're thankful that he was not dependent on man's approval. He knew what was in the heart of man. Right? He had a divine knowledge concerning what was in man. He knew their faith could be fickle. I mean, they admired Jesus because of the miracles they saw. And so therefore it was a thin and it was a superficial belief You know, the human heart is attracted to the sensational. And it was. And Jesus knew that. So he knows man is fickle. (laughs) Fickle. He knows I can't pronounce words. So he arrives in Cana, where he had turned water into wine, where people knew him. Because even though he didn't really tell anybody what he had done when he turned water into wine, who saw it? His disciples and the servants. The servants were there when Jesus said, pull out this water and take it to, the, to the, head of the head of the wedding here. And he's like, whoa, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. You know those servants. How long do you think that they kept quiet? Probably not very long. So people knew probably what had happened and what had gone on, but they were all about the signs and wonders. But when he arrives, this official from Capernaum hears that Jesus is in the region. And so he heads out to meet Jesus because his son is near death. And he wants Jesus to come down. So he went to Jesus and he asked him, Come down, heal my son, for he was at the point of death. And this is Jesus' response to the man. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official is pleading with Jesus. That's what he's doing. Please come with me to my house in Capernaum and heal my child. He's near death. Please, please. But I said, this isn't really a rebuke as much as it's a challenge to the man, right? And it's, like I said, a challenge for us as well. What Jesus is saying is this. Will you only believe if I go with you? Right? Will you only believe if I go to your house and perform more signs and wonders? Or do you have the faith to believe me, trust me, and go home just on my word? Right? What will it take for you to believe? Can you walk by faith and not by sight? Right? 2 Corinthians 5-7, in case you were interested. Jesus tells him, go, and your son will live. What does it take for his son to live? It takes faith, because the man has to go by himself. Without Jesus coming with him. Right? But thankfully... As it says here, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way, right? He stepped down in faith, and what a step it was, right? He trusted Jesus. He trusted Jesus enough to head home as Jesus told him. Now, there are similarities between like this miracle and the healing of the nobleman's son, Right, This miracle here, the healing of the nobleman's son, and the miracle when he healed the centurion's servant. Because right? the centurion servant, if you remember that story, he was from Capernaum as well. Now, the, the centurion himself, he didn't come to Jesus himself. He sent an elder or some servants from the house. And he had a sick servant. So he sent them to Jesus also. And you can find that story in Matthew and, and Luke and stuff. Right, So the official came by himself. He said, please come heal my son. The centurion sent his servant, said, hey, I have a sick servant. right? Please heal him. So there's, both, there's similarities in both of those stories because Jesus sent, t- sends them both off. Go back. They'll be healed. right? But there's one important difference that I want to bring up that plays into this. One important difference. right? The centurion sent a message saying, listen, you don't need to come. I know that if you just say it, it will be done. Right, that's the difference between like the centurion and the nobleman here. The nobleman says, "Please come to my house. Please come with me and heal my son." And the centurion, when he requested Jesus to heal his servant, he said, "I know if you just say the words, it'll be done." And when Jesus heard that, he said, "I tell you, not even Is- in Israel have I found such faith." Right, that's what we're talking about here. Do you have the faith to take Jesus at His word? Or are you just looking for him to come do more signs and wonders? Jesus told him, you will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. Do you have the faith to do what I ask and to be obedient to my word? The man did. He had the faith to step out. Right? He pleads with Jesus to come, but Jesus says, listen, you're not gonna, you're not, you know, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. Now, when the official is on his way home, Right? He's met by his servants who told him his son's recovering. And he says, when? Right? And he puts hes you know, Sherlock Holmes, he puts together the clues and he realizes that's right when Jesus said, your son will be healed. And he believes. Not just he believes, but his whole household believes. Right? Both, the, both the nobleman and the centurion had the faith to petition Jesus, which is great. But only the centurion had the faith at that time to know that Jesus didn't need to come to his house. Right? The centurion wasn't just about signs and wonders. He knew that all Jesus had to do was say the words. The official, he learned that, but it required growth. Thankfully, he had the faith to grow. Right? He stepped out in obedience. He believed Jesus enough to head home. And then when he met his servant on the way home, then he truly believed and he truly put his faith in Jesus, right? The official had a crisis that led him to Jesus. Jesus gave him the confidence enough to step out in faith. And even before he made it home, that confidence was confirmed. And from that, his faith then became contagious because it wasn't just him who believed. He led his whole household to faith because of what Jesus did. He wanted to see and then believe, yet he ended up believing and then seeing. Because in order for him to head home without Jesus, he had to believe Jesus' word. He had to take him at his word. You want me to leave without you? I have to go home by myself? okay, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. I believe. I'm going to trust you. I believe. And he did. Right. Your lack of faith, your need for growth will not be a hindrance to Jesus if you actually approach him with a sincere and true heart if you're really looking to draw deeper into a relationship with Jesus, then when you bring him your doubts or your questions or your issues, and he says, well, just obey my word. There'll be room for you to grow. He's giving you, he's challenging you. Just step out in faith. Can you do that? Can you take me at my word? Do you trust me? Who He is and how much He loves us it's not dependent on your approval, thankfully. Right? He went to the cross for you anyway. He loves you that much. Right? But within that, within that idea of this relationship that Jesus wants to grow with you and that challenge where He's telling you, can you take me at my word? Do you read my word and do you believe what it says? Is there... Is there more that you need than this right here? Or can you just trust me? Do you have the faith to follow me regardless of what the world is saying? Regardless of what your friends might say? Regardless of what your family might say? Do you have the faith to trust in my word? Within that challenge, is where, of course, we find the enemies of our faith. Those enemies were right there for this man, this nobleman from Capernaum. The opportunity for him to be stumbled, the opportunity for him to not follow through on this because of the attack, possibly by the enemies, it it was there. Whether you see it or you don't see it within what we read, the enemies of our faith, that's when they show up. So they're apparent right there. And there's at least, there's many enemies to our faith, but let's just pick on three because they kind of work together, and in, in, in many ways they overlap. There's unbelief, there's pride, and there's doubt. Now, doubt and unbelief are very similar, but they're not the same thing. But they work together all the time. They're like buddies, right? Pride gets in the way of you even coming to Jesus, It'll be a hindrance, and it'll block you from even coming to Jesus. This, this nobleman, this official from Capernaum, he'd heard all the stories about Jesus and heard about all the signs and wonders. Right? If, he would, if his pride had gotten in the way, he would have never even shown up. He would have never gone to Cana to talk to Jesus. He would have stayed home at Capernaum. We don't need him. I don't need to go to Jesus. I'm, I'm an official of this city. I'm in charge around here. Let's get some of the medics and the doctors and come over here and take care of We don't need that guy, right? His pride could have gotten in the way, right? It tells us in Psalm 10:4 that in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So pride stands in, in the way of your relationship with the Lord, and your pride will tell you, you don't need Jesus. You don't need God. That's a ridiculous thought. There is no God. That's pride. You're good enough on your own. You can do it yourself. Aren't you the God of your own life? What do you need Jesus for? Right? That's pride. Pride leads to our taking offense at Jesus. Pride leads to us not putting our faith in Jesus, but instead we just put our faith in ourselves. We put our faith in man. None of that is a... I don't, I don't recommend that. All right. Pride makes us think that we have all the answers. Pride will stop us from reaching out to Jesus. Pride will refuse the hope that is found in Jesus, right? Pride could have stopped the official from seeking out the hope that was found in Jesus. It didn't, thankfully. But it could have. It's something to be aware of. Now, then you have unbelief. Now, unbelief is really just the opposite of belief, right? And, of course, we know the most recognizable use of that word in the Bible is in Mark 9 when the father of the possessed boy who is possessed by an unclean spirit, asks Jesus to heal his son. But then he says, if you can, right? If, if, do something if you can. And remember Jesus' reply to the guy? He says, if, if you can? right? You can almost hear Jesus you know, retorting back to the guy. If I can? Right? He says, all things are possible for one who believes. Right, that's when the father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. That's really a cry for all of us because we all have those moments. I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? Unbelief can be an obstacle to our faith. If the official didn't believe Jesus, he would have never gone home. If Jesus said, listen, you're not going to believe unless you've seen signs and, signs and wonders. Go home and your son will be healed. You know, I don't believe you. Come with me. I, I can't go home by myself. Come with me. I need you to come with me. I, don't, I, can't, I'm not gonna, I can't trust you. I can't trust that. I don't believe that. Right? That's unbelief. And really what his cry was and said, I believe, I'm going to go home. Help my unbelief as I'm going home. Right? Because trust me, he was wrestling with that as he walked home probably. Right? So unbelief can be an obstacle to our faith. It could have stopped him from going home. Then you have doubt. And doubt is simply just a lack of confidence in God's word. I read what it says. I'm just not confident that I trust it. I'm just not confident I believe it. not I'm sure. I'm not re- you know, are are we translating it correctly? I haven't read enough, you know, I need to read some more on that passage. I need to study some more on that. I you know, I just I'm not sure. I don't know if I can take that yet. For granted. Or not for granted, but I don't know if I can trust it, you know. Satan loves to twist you all about with doubt, right? Because he's been doing it since the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? That's what doubt is, right? Did God really say? Are you sure that said that? Are you sure the Bible says that? Are you sure God's Word says that? Are are you sure? Doubt makes us unstable in all our ways. We get tossed back and forth, left and right, right? We believe this one week. We believe that the next week. We're not sure. It all has to do with doubt and the lack of confidence in God's word. Who? The most famous doubter in the Bible, right? Doubting Thomas. Right? We'll get to that later in John chapter 20, but here's a little, you know, sneak peek because we're probably still a year away from that. Right? But, but he says, he tells the other disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection, remember, Jesus had appeared to some of the disciples. They're telling Thomas. Thomas is like, I, I no, you know, unless I see unless I see the hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, right? Unless I can place my finger into the mark of the nails and, and place my hand into his side, he says, I will never believe. We've seen Jesus. No, I don't believe you. Unless Jesus is in front of me, right? I'll never believe. That's what he says. What happens? Jesus appears. He didn't say, get away from me, Thomas, you doubter. I told you I was going to rise again. No, he appears to Thomas, right? He appears to Thomas. And Thomas, of course, is like, ah, uh, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he says, Lord. But Jesus tells him this. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. What's going to take for you to believe, Thomas. When we doubt, Jesus is saying that we are that we don't take him at his word. That's what he's telling Thomas. You didn't, you didn't believe me when I told you I was going to rise again? Right? So when we doubt, we're saying that Jesus' is word, we're calling Jesus a liar when we doubt the word of God. The, well, the remedy of doubt is faith, right? Trusting Jesus. That's the remedy of doubt. Truly. Thankfully, the official overcame these enemies, believed Jesus, and put his faith in Jesus. He took that step. He overcame the doubts. He overcame his pride. He overcame his unbelief. He went from I I gotta see to believe to, okay, I believe and wow, now I see. It's amazing. Here's the thing, and this is what we're going to wrap up with. We tend to look at our physical needs and how God deals with the desires of our heart as a sign of how much God loves us. I mean, there are churches in this town that will tell you that God's love and blessings on your life are dependent on how much you give. It's a false gospel. Because it 's not right, but but God pays my bills, He must really love me, yes, He does, right well, I got a promotion at work, God must really love me, yes, He does, right, He helped me get over that cold that I thought i 'd never get over with, He helped me get over whatever, you know, whatever physical affirmity I had, He must really love me, yes, he does, absolutely, those are all great things, absolutely, right we tend to want all our answers. All our questions answered first, like, I don't understand this. I'll believe when you tell me what the answer is, right? right? I want the physical proof before I make the commitment, before we place our trust in something. We want some sort of tangible evidence. I'll believe God when God does this. I'll believe God when God does that. If God keeps doing this in my life, I'm going to believe it. He must really love me because, wow, my bank account, woo doo 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 Right? God must really love me, right? We want that whatever we can hold in our hands. We want something verified. We want the down payment, right? Show me the money, right? We're telling God, show me the money. I'll believe in you. Well, here's the thing. God does love you. But if God never did one of those things in your life, it wouldn't change the fact that God still loves you and that God's love for you is so great he went to the cross, right? So if God does these great things in your life and you start building your faith on those things on those signs and wonders and then those signs and wonders cease for whatever reason does that mean god doesn't love you no not at all not at all right you you should keep building your faith on signs and wonders is like building your house on sand that's not a firm foundation for your faith Because everyone's relationship with the Lord is different and everyone goes through different things in life. And whether God pays your bills or doesn't pay your bills or heals you of a sickness or doesn't heal of your sickness or takes away the cancer or doesn't take away the cancer, right, grows you a new arm or doesn't grow you a new arm, it has nothing to do with how great he loves you. Nothing at all. God's love for you is so great that when people wanted signs, specifically the religious leaders, what did he tell them? He basically told him, look at the cross. I'm not there yet, but look at the cross, right? Just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so must much, so much the son of man, right? He tells him, I'm speaking about death and resurrection here. I'm speaking in resurrection language. You have no clue what I'm talking about, but that's the sign I'm going to give you. Understand what I'm telling you. You want to know how the sign, you want to see this sign? It's right there, Right? It's right there. It's going to be the cross and my resurrection. Right? And that's the only sign you need. That's the only sign you need. Don't just build your life on signs and wonders. Don't just build your relationship with the Lord as some sort of a, I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you more if you do this. Lord, show me a sign that you love me. Do this for me. God's like, I'm not playing those games. What will it take for you to have faith? will it take for you to put your trust in Jesus? Will you take me at my word? Will you just follow me and trust in me? Because my word tells you, explains to you, shows you, testifies to the love I have for you. Do you really need the signs and wonders? Signs and wonders happen. God's still performing miracles today. Absolutely. The proof of God's love towards you is his death and his resurrection. And even if he does nothing else for you, he's done enough in that. So don't seek signs. Don't seek wonders. That's not to say you don't pray for God to do things in your life. But that's not, you're not bargaining with God about your faith. I'll be a stronger believer, Lord, if you just do this. God's like, come on. Come on. You'll be a stronger believer if you just trust me. Even when you don't see that. Because seeing isn't believing. Right? And so he says, that's the challenge. What will it take for you to believe? What will it take for you to grow your relationship with me? What will it take for you to get past that area of doubt, to get past that area of unbelief, to get past that area of pride? What will it take for you to start taking me at my word even more and get into a deeper relationship? Your belief in Jesus leads to faith in Jesus. So seek Jesus. Trust Jesus, right? Believe and then see. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, you just work this out in our lives, all the time, not just this week, Lord, but all the time. Just continue to remind us, Lord, that we don't, we're do not we not in a relationship that's led by blind faith. Blind faith doesn't exist. Our faith isn't blind because our faith is placed in you. So we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you continue to lead us and guide us. And you continue to challenge us, Lord, with your word. Challenge us with what it says. Challenge us and just say, What will it take for you to take me at my word? What will will it take for you to step out in faith this week? Don't you trust me? Because you've proved your faithfulness over and over again in our lives. And your faithfulness is what continues to build our faith. So I thank you for this. And I pray you just continue to work this out. And I pray, Lord, you just give us those opportunities, Lord, this week, just to shine the light and be a light and point people to the hope that's found in Jesus in the darkness and the ever-increasing darkness of this world. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.